of O-Rig, the fullback, has also had a very good day opening holes and leading for Doug Martin. From a yard away, first down goal, handoff Martin running to the left. He dives off left tackle. He's into the promised land again. Four touchdowns for Doug Martin. This was the shortest one of the day, a one-yarder. And his teammates surround him and give him high fives and pat him on the shoulder. How about this Buccaneer offense? Do you lose an all-pro What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast, episode number 27 on November 7, 2012. Got a great show lined up for you today. One of our favorites from the Sportscasters proper, Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com is going to join us to talk about a lot of things, but we're going to focus on the media side of football and Richard is going to give us some grades on how the networks have done with their various packages and pregame shows in the first half of the NFL season. We are one day later than we've tried to get in the habit of being in the last couple of weeks, and that's because last night was election night in the United States. So congratulations to the President Barack Obama for winning re-election in four more years, and we don't have to turn this into a political discussion because this isn't the forum, Don, but I'm sure you, and we should say I'm the host, Steve Bennett, and my co-host is Don Ross. We are conveniently forget to introduce ourselves from time to time. Yeah, what can you do? Uh, did you watch at all, and what were kind of your impressions on the night? Because more than any political event, this kind of has the feel of a sporting event in the way that as the night progresses, different states turn different colors. Yeah. And the scoreboard changes, and then eventually there's a winner and a loser, and eventually we hear from the winner and the loser. That was actually exactly the thought I had last night, and it kind of disappointed me a little bit. And again, like you said, not to get too political, but it almost seems like more about getting elected or, or more about policy is about getting elected than it is necessarily about doing what's what you think is best. Like the way these guys were talking about it were like, if Romney's going to win, he's got to attack this state and this state and this state. And the fact that this is still going this long isn't good news for Romney. This should have right. been decided earlier. Florida like, especially. Holy cow. It's We should be voting. It just it was covered like a sporting event. And that actually bummed me out a little bit. <laughs> like I was glued to my TV the whole time. It's very entertaining. It's very uh, it's it's history-making. Yeah, it's, it's dramatic. dramatic. And it's... But, yeah, it probably shouldn't be that way. It probably shouldn't feel like a sporting event. It would be exciting. But I'm, I'm probably more right than left, but I'm as time goes on, I get more and more moderate, especially so, about social issues. I definitely consider myself right, a right. social moderate. Um, Romney was not a candidate that particularly inspired me. I thought he was kind of bland, and I, I think that that's maybe where part of the shortcoming was. But in terms of strategy – and the way that we vote in this country, they fought this entire election basically in nine states. Yeah, it's, it's and it's that's a, it's, so weird. It's a bad system. I reference him a lot on the other show and probably this one too. But Tuesday morning quarterback talks all about just how much money was spent in billions basically nine and billions in, of dollars in those nine states. Yep. particularly Ohio and Florida. I want to say it was six billion. Between both sides for the campaign. Which is ridiculous because all they're talking about is how they're going to cut these deficits and what's not. And then they go out and spend $6 billion in 12 months or whatever it is. Well, at the end of the night, I think the most important thing, and for whatever reason, people like Donald Trump don't <laughs> understand this. At the end of the night, the most important thing is the game is over and right. it's time to get behind the winner. Yeah, I was disappointed to see that type of thing on Facebook and all over Twitter. The, oh my God... Uh, the country's ruined. Yeah, I'll, moving to Canada. No, I'll say not. I told you so in four years yeah, and please. blah blah blah. All that. This should be like a celebration of democracy. Afterward, uh, the country should get together. And maybe that sounds all a little socialist or something, but boy, is it negative! It can really divide people. Well, I guess the final thought on that is best of luck to the president of the United States, and hopefully, I think this should be the thought for any second term president and hopefully his second term is better than his first right and hopefully he can bring the division that clearly exists between the parties 
together to some extent right and get some change because change is obviously a good thing sure the one thing i was thinking when you were talking about that is we do get emails regularly now to the show and sometimes we read them at the end of the show I don't think we've ever gotten hate mail, but if we're going to, it would be something as simple as you saying, congratulations, President Obama. That could do it. So let's get away from that. And uh, what we're going to be doing today uh, is our usual, uh, basically, stuff. We're going to start off with three things. We're going to do an interview with Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com, which I think you guys are going to really enjoy. Uh, We're going to read a listener email, as Don pointed out, and we're going to close the show with one last thing before we can get to any of that. We always start with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Usually that other business is the week that was, but like Steve said earlier, we are a day behind, and by the time this gets up, uh, it'll, be Thursday. Be, it'll be Thursday, and we'll be ready for a kickoff of Indy Jacksonville, a game that is halfway interesting, I guess. So we're going to talk uh, in the future. We're going to talk about the future this week. Yeah, and if you're interested in hearing us talk about the week that was, you can check out the Sportscasters proper at www.sports-casters.com, and we'll be taking care of that as the number one thing on that show. Right. So kick it off. Like I said, Colts-Jags. Uh, Colts are a very interesting team. Not even all of a sudden. They've been interesting from the get-go. Five and three. Who would have thought that? Uh, Andrew Luck is the real deal. And, boy, I don't, I don't know what else to say about that game. It, the Jaguars' one win is actually against the Colts earlier in the season. In, in, was it like week one, in week two? In Indianapolis, yeah, the Cecil Shorts play. That's right, that's right. Um, so the, yeah, week three. The Jaguars, or the Colts, have a chance to avenge that loss against the Jaguars. Uh, the most interesting game, the one that just absolutely yeah. jumps off the schedule, is Bears and Texans. Um, NBC has to be thrilled to have this game as part of their Sunday Night Football package. Two 7-1 teams from opposite uh, conferences. You're going to hear a lot of things like, this could be a preview of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Could this be a matchup we'll see in New Orleans in February? Two, two very could be. very similar teams, too. Uh, Texans put up a lot of points. The Bills actually did a decent job of holding them. Yeah, they, they kind of sleepwalk through that game. Yeah, yeah. But the Texans put up a lot of points, so their offense is probably a touch better, but the Bears' defense maybe is a touch better than the Texans, a little more opportunistic. So it's really strength uh, on the same side of the ball. It's not really strength for strength. It's strength versus weakness. But those are those are two teams that uh, are really as good as they get in the it, league right now. It could be a game that comes down to who runs the ball best. You know, both teams have world-class running backs in Arian Foster and Matt Forte. Two guys who are no strangers to first rounds of fantasy football drafts. And I think if one of these guys can get to the teeth of the other defense and keep their offense on the field and drive the ball, they'll be able to, you know, maybe maybe win the game. And then I think another key is gonna be that the Texans don't let the Bears defense just take the ball away from them. You know, right. how many times has Ch- Charles Tillman this year just ripped the ball out of someone's hands? I saw a stat on Tuesday morning quarterback that said something like the Jags have 11 touchdowns all year. The Bears have seven on defense. On defense. That's insane. So they've, had, they've got a lot. They're very opportunistic. And really the parallels between those teams, the strength is on defense. Uh, an above average quarterback, I guess you could say, for each team. Superstar running backs. Uh, one superstar receiver on each team. So it's it's a really interesting, cool game. Hard to call right now. The line is Chicago by one because they're the home team, basically. But that'll be a good one. Really good uh, primetime game on Sunday night. Not necessarily the best 425 Aikman and Buck to the nation game for Fox this week. But anytime the Cowboys and the Eagles, anytime these teams in the NFC East plays, it seems like you get a really competitive game that can go either way at the end. I mean, just a great example of that is a couple weeks ago with Giants and Cowboys. We all know how that ended. But it's last chance time for both of these teams, the Cowboys and the Eagles. And despite the really paper-thin, yeah, I'm behind you, wink, wink, that Jerry Jones gave to Jason Garrett, 
if this Cowboys season falls apart and Sean Payton truly is a free agent at the end of the year, that might be a lot of trouble for the Cowboys. So, And, and the Eagles, I think, make a move regardless with Andy Reid. Yeah, I think they're It seems like that just expired there. But those two teams, the the loser is 3-6 and six and right. done, right? Yeah, it's cliche, but, I mean, that's a must-win game. The Giants are 6-3. and three. They lost a game last week to Pittsburgh. So if you can get to 4-5 and five and maybe the Giants drop a game somewhere, I mean, you're only a game back of first. Uh, it's kind of a top-heavy conference. The key with that division is always going to be how you play the teams within that division. Right. Because the Giants already have two losses in the division. So if you're behind them, if you're Philadelphia and you're 1-0 in the division, or Dallas, who's 1-1, one one, you move to 2-1, uh, you've got half a game then, kind of, on the Giants. So both teams kind of seem like train wrecks, but uh, it should be interesting. I, I kind of expect Dallas to win even on the road. I just have more faith in them, I guess. Philly just Philly just looks so bad on Monday. It's hard to pick them for anything. Yeah, they. I, I don't know. If I've ever seen a team that was projected for such good things go that south. And we've been. Uh, I know. At least I have. I've been off of that Eagles thing for two years now. Another really big division game this week is at one o'clock with the Lions and the Vikings. Two teams that are all of a sudden headed in different directions. It seems like the Lions got off to a really slow start, but they're putting it together. And their young quarterback is kind of coming out of what held him back and his team back in the beginning of the season. And they're suddenly discovering a little bit of a running game. While Minnesota started great. Lost the last lost two. Lost the last two. We talked about what a really difficult schedule they have in the second half of the season. And the just floor is falling out for Christian Ponder. Yeah, that division's absolutely brutal. Uh, they're plus minus in that division, actually. Everyone is a plus, including Detroit. Uh, they've got both of those teams. Again, they have much better, rec- much better, relatively. Uh, Minnesota's 5-4, and four, Detroit's 4-4. Four and four. So those records are both better than Philly and Dallas, but the road for those teams to make the playoffs would be even more difficult because you've got Green Bay and Chicago ahead of you. So Really, again, it's a cliche, but that might be a must-win game. And it has to be for Minnesota. Minnesota's going to go on a bye after. Then they're going to play Chicago, Green Bay, Chicago, St. Louis, Houston, and Green, Green Bay. Bay. Yeah, it, it, I mean, that just almost seems like too much to ask for any team. And they're going to be without, most likely, Percy Harvin. So This week for sure, probably. Yeah, he, he said after the game it would be a long shot for him to play. So that's that's never a good thing when the player is saying things like that. Yep. Uh, another maybe interesting division matchup, Saints and Falcons. Another example of when two teams play, it's usually interesting. Yep. Another kind of last shot for the Saints here who have put themselves where they're only one game out in the loss column for the last wild card, but there's right. still a lot of teams to leap. If you want to start leaping teams, beat them the best team in football record-wise at home. Yeah, that's, again, that's a way to make teams take notice of you. Seems like no matter how good these teams are, they always play each other tough. It's just one of them rivalry Saints have games. won three, and three of the last four. The Falcons have won eight of the last eight. But has anyone been convinced that the Falcons are as good are the, are what we usually see when we see an 8-0 no team? I haven't been, but I'm biased. Now I'll admit that <laughs> right up front. I'm not... Uh, I'm not at all a fan of, of, of the Falcons. We're kind of jumping around here, yep, but a lot, of, a lot of these games aren't overly interesting. Bills-Patriots, I mean, if the Bills want to salvage their season, I've said this a few times, earlier in the season you looked at this tough part of the schedule. This is the last game in that tough part of the schedule, and they had to win two of them. They didn't. That said, if their schedule is fairly weak down the road, but, I mean, who are the Bills to call anybody weak? So the Bills An, an upset go, would be nice here. The Bills probably got to go 6-2. and two. So where are the six wins? Right. And I think if you're stretching, you can get to five, but then you got to find a sixth. Right. So, the, ten- the Tennessee game is what really killed them. They'd be sitting at four and four right now with a chance to maybe go into the Patriots where they haven't won in like 12 years or something ridiculous. Go into New England. They have been competitive. They've played really well, actually. Time, They've yeah. blown a lot of games there. Uh, Leotis McCalvin fumble a yep. couple years ago. The Brewski game they should have won. When Brewski returned. Right, right. But I don't expect much of it. Uh, I 
feel like it's another lost season. Kind of if you're just looking at this week in football as a whole, it's about division games this week. Yep. There's a lot of really big division games out there. We've kind of gone through them. And maybe another kind of wild card type of game is Tampa Bay and yeah. San Diego. I both think that's four and four teams. Um, both for four and four teams, they seem miles apart, though, don't they? I mean, the Chargers just look like this this team that can't figure out their identity. Philip Rivers all of a sudden looks just done. Whereas the Buccaneers, kind of like uh, who were we talking about earlier, Detroit, a little bit of a slow start. Since really the Buccaneers, have, have, since the Buccaneers lost to the Saints, they have impressive wins against the Vikings on the road. And the Raiders on the road, and suddenly Doug Martin looks like he should have been the first pick of the draft, not the twentieth. You know, I mean, he just looks even in the Saints game and before. I mean, they they beat Kansas City. They've been competitive really in every game this year. Uh, they haven't lost by more than what seven? Yeah, uh, so, yeah. So they've been tight all year long. Uh, Josh Freeman looks like the Josh Freeman of the rookie year, not the sophomore slump Josh Freeman. So. It's a quarterback league, and if your quarterback's going the right way, uh, the sky's the limit, really. And I think in Tampa, their quarterback is, and in San Diego, he just doesn't seem to have it. He's got no receivers, but... And definitely kind of an important home game for Tampa Bay. They travel to Carolina next week, which you would think would be a winnable game. And if they can win both of those, they're a 6-4 and four team when they go into a really tough stretch of their schedule where they play... Home against Atlanta, on the road against Denver, home against Philadelphia, and at New Orleans. So a really tough. Yeah, at Atlanta to end there. the season too. At Atlanta to end the season. So win games now. Win yeah. games now. All right, I think we can move on. All right, quickly. I just had a, a cool story here. Everyone obviously heard about uh, Hurricane Sandy or Tropical Storm Sandy, whatever it technically was when it hit the land. Well, the Steelers played a four o'clock game last night. So by the time they did their post game and all that, I'm not sure what time it would be late uh, after their win in New York. They were staying in a hotel in New Jersey, and rather than stay overnight and kind of sleep in after a victory, the Steelers did really the right thing, and they left that hotel to make room for evacuees to move in right after their game. So... Like I said, short and sweet is kind of a cool story. Yeah, and they didn't stay the night there the night before the game either. Right. They did they all their travel up. in one yeah. day so that people who needed those hotel rooms could keep them. So good for them. The football gods uh, agreed and gave them good karma, and they won that game. Hey, Don, any chance you could tell me who the top four players are? There's four guys tied for the most drop passes in the National Football League this year. And I'll give you a clue. Three of them play in the NFC South. No, two of them play in the NFC South. Excuse uh, me. The receivers? Uh, just players in the league with drop passes. There's two, I w- t- two tight ends and two running yeah, backs. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, two running backs. Yep. I was going to say, uh, wow, his name is escaping me now. Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is one of them. you're always complaining about Jimmy Graham. Uh, Jimmy Graham has seven drops. Three other players also have seven drops. An NFC South running back, an NFC East tight end, They're all NFC and players. an AFC West running back that just got injured. Okay, so is that uh, AFC West, you said? Yes. Huh. Just got injured last week. Always injured. Cool oh, oh Darren McFadden. Darren McFadden is one of them with seven. Seven drop. None of these guys, surprisingly, are, are Megatron, no, huh? Because he's nope. kind of been beaten up for drops. This One year. of them has a lot of had a lot of drops to begin the season, then had a huge game, caught like twenty passes one week. Holy cow! The other tight end, totally forgot. NFC. Oh, Jason Witten. Jason Witten. And then the fourth one you might never get because all you can think about right now is how great he's been. Doug Doug Martin? Doug Martin. Really? Those are the four players, according to ESPN Stats and Information, who lead the league with drop passes. Seven. Atlanta's Julio Jones is among the leaders with five drops. Where's Calvin Johnson? Because he was kind of beaten up for drops earlier in the year. Um... You know what? It doesn't say... Or like a Des Bryant? Anybody like that? Like he... Maybe running the running the wrong route is more Des Bryant's type of thing. And Vincent Jackson is the only NFC South player who's been targeted at least twenty times and doesn't have a drop. Wow, that's really worked out for them, by the way. I mean, that's a no brainer thing to say, but boy, you replace 
you lose Vincent Jackson and replace him with who who, who is his Robert Meacham. Robert Meacham or yeah. Mel, uh, Floyd there, and boy, has that not worked out for San Diego. Yeah, so just a cool kind of quick yeah, little surprising. thing there. Yeah, surprising. All those drops and not one receiver in the top four. Uh, my cool stat of the week from Reddit. I mentioned I get some of my stuff from there when doing show prep. Andrew Luck, rookie sensation, 5-3. and three, Have the Colts in the driver's seat for a wild card right now. Has 2,404 yards passing. Peyton Manning, who maybe is the comeback player of the year, whatever award that would be. Has, yeah, him and Adrian Peterson are going to have a hell oh, of a yeah. battle for that comeback player of the year award. Yeah, they're both kind of unprecedented, especially Peterson. Holy cow. But, yeah, Manning has his team 5-3. and three. Might be the type of thing where Manning's probably going to go to the playoffs and Peterson won't, so I don't know. Subconsciously, maybe that'll factor in. But uh, Manning, 5-3 and three for his Broncos, who are also looking like a sure thing to make a playoff spot in their, or win their division. Also has 2,404 yards. They have the exact same number of yards, same record through eight games. Just kind of a cool stat. I mean, Peyton has considerably more touchdowns and uh, considerably or a few less interceptions, but still a cool thing because they're always going to be compared. And Andrew Luck is is ridiculous. I yeah, mean, he's, he he's everything they said he would be out of college. Peyton was phenomenal out of college, but like after. A season. He went like one in fifteen his first season, and Luck's going to take his team to the playoffs. So it's a cool parallel there. It's cool to see that they're both doing well. You know, I was kind of talking about this last night about how rare it is to have an all-world, all-generation player at quarterback and replace him with an all-world, all-generation player at quarterback. Yeah, there's Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers and Favre. There's Montana to Young. Young. Yep. But there's very few examples of that, and there's a lot more examples of teams who spent years trying to yeah. find the replacement for their Hall of Fame the quarterback. Bills, the Dolphins. Bills, Dolphins, Broncos even. Um, the, the Cowboys, you can make a case. Sure. Just it's a really difficult thing to do, and the fans in Indianapolis are very lucky. You were asking about Calvin Johnson, and I, I can't find how many drops he has, but there is a little bit of a different stat. He ranks fourth in the NFL with a drop pass rate of 14.58 based on seven drops on 48 catchable passes. Hmm. So according to ProFootballFocus.com, he also has seven drops. That wasn't the information that ESPN provided, though. Yeah, different drops are probably probably somewhat tough subjective. to judge. Because, yeah. I mean, Stevie Johnson probably has a bunch of targets but not a bunch of catches because just Fitzpatrick isn't that accurate. So what you charge with a drop is pretty subjective all right uh last thing kind of a coaching hodgepodge here uh there was a sports illustrated poll that said that rex ryan is the most overrated, overrated coach yeah. in the nfl and you know what i can get behind that but like just a couple down on the list was bill belichick really what is it exactly that would be overrated about a guy with a fistful of rings i i guess the thing with belichick that people will argue and he had the one good year without him, is he's never been good without Brady. Never been that good, anyway. He's never had to. I mean... Right. And he was the coordinator in Baltimore when they won a Super Bowl. Is that right? No. He won Super Bowls in, I think, New York as a coordinator. Okay, in New York. Yes. Under Parcells. He's had success. Most of his success has come with arguably the best quarterback of all time, so... I guess there's always going to be questions about Can that. Can you name a great NFL coach who didn't have a great NFL quarterback? Right. I guess that that's more of an argument about just how right. valuable I mean, if a we say is. Bill Walsh is one of the great coaches, right. you mean it's Montana's there, and then yeah. um, I, I think Shula's, Marino's there, and I'm just difficult. Yeah, it, it's arguing really just the value of a coach in general. But I, I guess I could buy the Rex Ryan thing. And then the other coaching story of the week is that – the NFL apparently just wants to destroy the Saints. Uh, they, <laughs> a story came out this week that there was a clause in the contract extension that the Saints agreed to with Sean Payton last year that somehow tied his job to the status of Mickey Loomis's job, and the NFL decided that was a precedent they weren't comfortable starting. So that contract has been voided. There's now kind of a debate on whether or not this year of the suspension – 
is going to count as a year against Peyton's contract or not. If it does, he could potentially be a free agent. There's also some gray area on whether or not the team can negotiate with Peyton towards the contract while he's suspended. I think the latest I heard on that is that he that, that, that they can. The whole thing is, is it makes Saints fans really nervous, especially if the Dallas job were to open up. Because Sean Payton's family lives in Dallas. He's had some family problems the last couple years getting divorced. And nobody can compete with Jerry Jones' money. And if Jerry Jones just decides that he's going to bring Sean Payton in no matter what and throws $11 million instead of the eight, does that mean Sean Payton's no longer the Saints coach? I don't know. Uh, Saints players and have said adamantly that they think their coach will be back. It'd be a really low-dog move, I think, for Peyton to bail on a franchise that has done nothing but stand behind him in a period where a lot of teams would have bailed real quick. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to add to that. It's You'd just like, another interesting... He just, he's a guy that made a name where he is, obviously in New Orleans, winning the Super Bowl and whatnot. But boy, I've seen guys walk... For less, you know? Yeah, it's just so another it, interesting subplot in what has been an unbelievable year for the New Orleans Saints organization. If I had to bet, I'm guessing they don't let him walk. But that said... If, Dallas scares you. Well, there's Dallas. And Philly. Yeah, maybe Philly. And if... The, I would have said the same... I would have said the Drew Brees thing would have taken a, a day. You know what I mean? You sit down. Right. Okay, blank check. And that didn't, so who knows? If I was a betting man, like I said, I would bet he stays, but you never know. All right, we are going to take a break and come back with Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. Our next guest works for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. Warm sportscasters, welcome to Richard Deitch. How you doing, Richard? Good. First of all, I like the fact that the intro was short. That's much more of an improvement uh, than your normal long-winded intros that you give the Lee Jenkinses of the world, the Chris Ballards of the world. The other thing, too, is you've been trying to get me today like 15 times. Like, it, it can't be that hard a process to dial whatever number I'm at. I, well, I mean, you, 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 the sports cases are ringing left and right. My cell phone, my office <laughs> phone, it's, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. You guys are you, you're just, you're, you, 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 I guess in a way it's bulldog-like. You're like, you know, reporters, well, you don't give up, but it's... Uh, my ears are ringing at this point from all the connections. You co- you emailed me at 11.30 to say that you could do it at 1 o'clock. I call you at 1 o'clock on the dot, and I'm just getting voicemails. Then I get an email. Oh, I got uh, swamped. Call 1 o'clock later. Greenwich Standard Time. Didn't I say that? <laughs> I think you did. Greenwich Standard. Right. That's right. All right. There you go. All right. Well, all right, What can I do for the sportscasters today? Well, you know, we first of all, we haven't talked in so long, and that makes me sad. So we wanted to catch up with you because well, you know, that's because I was I'm the number four guest of all time, not number one. So right. I feel like I need to pick I need to pick my spot. Yeah, Lee and John are making their eleventh and tenth appearance on the show individually that is, today, and that I is unbelievable. Watch, yeah, all sta- by the way, far. all started with who? It all start. You were the very first Sports Illustrated Correct. guest on the that's show. That's right. That's very my right. my. It's I opened the door for. The Wertham's, the Jenkins, the Ballards, the the you know, to the 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 connection to the world. What you, I feel like what I'm like the, I'm the I'm the peace bridge. <laughs> Good Buffalo reference there. Nice. Exactly. What what has uh, your impressions of the Sports Illustrated TV show been so far? Well, I mean, I'm biased. I mean, yeah, so I understand. It's very understand. it's very hard for me to sort of I can't judge it the way I would judge other stuff. Um, I think it's pretty pretty good so far. Um. <sighs> You know, some of the features have been really good. The, the, the thing with these shows, you know, whether it's E60, whether it's real sports, I, I think it only has – you have to try to get the demographic that's really interested in these kind of like narrative journalism, kind of, you know, nine-minute kind of sports pieces. Um, and if, to be very honest, it's a limited audience. You've got to try to figure out a way to grab that audience. One of the things that real sports is great about is – um, you know, it's on HBO On Demand, so if you don't see it in its first run, it's going to run 20 times, and it's also going to be on HBO On Demand, so you'll be able to find it. Um, E60 has a um, time slot that's been pretty consistent when they debut their new shows in the fall, so if you're into that kind of show, you pretty much know where it is. Um, so I think that hopefully, you know, if the SI show continues, it'll get a sort of a dedicated time slot, and people will know where to go. I think that would sort of, I think that's one thing that would help the show. But I think in general, I think the stories have been, have been good. And I think they sort of speak to the magazine. Um, and I think they're thoughtful and, and well reported and 
not the kind of stuff that you're going to get on television every day. So I think, um, I think for the most part, it's, uh, it's good. I, I, um, you know, the one thing I think people, and this is really would be an interesting thing if you're really into the show is should we have our own writers and reporters sort of doing the narration and being the people who guide you through the story? And that's an interesting question. I'm, you know, I'm friends with these people, so it, it'd be very hard for me to be critical of them. But I think if you were watching the show with a critical eye, I think there would be a fair comment to say, I don't know if we really want the writers to sort of guide us through these stories. And I think that'd be a, that's a fair question. You know, the, my biggest uh, number one thought about the show right now is that Chris Ballard has owned it so far. Um, he might be the only reporter who's gotten two cracks at it, so maybe that gives him an edge. But both of his appearances and the stories that he reported on, I thought were unbelievable. The one on the last show, the baseball story, I thought the reporting was just heartbreaking and incredible yep. all at the same time. So I would definitely think that that comes right off the top of my head. And as far as the issue, you know, I'm not necessarily friends with these people like you are, but I do have a working relationship with some of them. Right. And I enjoy seeing them come off the pages. Uh, That's great. You That's know, what so. I, I'm, I'm glad, one, I'm glad to hear that. And two, I mean, Ballard's story on Williamsport. Uh, high school that you're talking about was unbelievable. Yes. I mean, one of the more incredible stories for sure. But that's good to hear. And you know, to be very honest with you, that show has to appeal to people like you, because if it doesn't, it has no shot of succeeding. Um, so I'm glad you say that. I'm, I've always been one. Um, even shows like Around the Horn, which I really dislike, I've always been one to separate. Like I like when sports writers are on TV, even if they, even if they're screaming. I still like the philosophy and the principle of them being on TV because I, I like to see my brother and get airtime and get paid. Um, so you know, I would tend to be one who thinks I think it's good. I think I, I like seeing writers on TV, and sometimes it actually is interesting TV because they're not like overproduced the way, um, you know, someone like. Uh, Hannah Storm is or Stuart Scott where it's just sort of television speak and I'm not trying to be pejorative there but you know they're just they're, they're television performers they know how to look at a camera and they know how to carry themselves that's kind of what they do so in that sense um, sometimes that can be interesting TV because it's it feels real it doesn't feel overpackaged or prepackaged one thing I really wanted to talk with you about today is we're about well, nine regular season weeks through the football season, and it's been a pretty interesting season from a media standpoint. Obviously, we had this year's the first year with the Thursday night package stretching the whole year. How do you think the NFL Network has done in stretching that package? Um, I think they've. That's a good question, actually. I mean, you know, I guess it depends on how you want to rate it. You want to rate it on numbers and viewership, or do you want to rate it on sort of. Um, more critical praise, or yeah, do you want to? Do you, or do you, you know, more. do you rate it on, uh, uh, you know, enthusiasm? Do you rate it on um, like uh, how many more uh, people know about the network? It's a good question. My sense is, you know, even if some of the games haven't been great, I think it's really been good for them because they won their player now in terms of a sixteen game or sixteen week, seventeen week schedule. And two, I think it's just got them in more places, whether it's uh, stories about them, whether it's more homes. Um, I think if you have a full season, you're sort of considered like a real player. Um, the one thing I give that network a lot of credit for is they totally take like the pregame stuff very seriously. I mean, they have a long, long pregame uh, show. They have postgame shows. They have big buildups, obviously, prior to the game, You know, whether it's the day before the game and stuff. Um, and I think they're net, they finally have figured it out. I mean, Nestler and Mayock solved a gigantic problem for them. Yep. You know, for years they just they had a real issue with who their game crew was, and those two have now solidified that they have a professional game crew calling their games. So um, I think they've made a lot of really good steps heading forward. Um, yeah, I mean, it's still a hardcore NFL network, and I don't know how many people are going to watch it on a daily basis unless you're just a total diehard for the NFL. Um, but they've done well. I mean, they, they have moved up, um, I think, among sort of the sports fans' eyes and, and become a player. You know, I think, like you said, the thing that they've been best at is they're turning these games, even if they're not the mark, the most marquee matchups of the week, into big events. You know, the, right. the, there's a, they're coming here to Buffalo in a couple of weeks. And, I mean, it's been the buzz of the season here in Buffalo. I mean, it's the Bills. and <laughs> that's, there's not that, much, that's sad. Yeah, there's that's not the much buzz. relevancy with them anyway. But, you know, people look forward to being at Ralph Wilson Stadium all day on a Thursday. <laughs> So. No, no. Listen, I, and you know, and like when you're when you're struggling, like the Bills are, and uh, I get that. Like you know, if nothing else, 
it's like kind of a fun event uh, to be part of, even if the team is going to, um, even if the team is going to get beat. Um, and you know it, what they've established, at least in this country, is that Thursday is now an NFL football night, and that's that's big for them. Um, you know, again, they're not going to ever get the ratings of a CBS or an NBC on a Sunday or Monday Night Football, but um, you know, if they hit it right and the matchups like really good late in the year. You know, they could pull like nine million viewers, and for the NFL Network, I mean, that that would be something like that would be an amazing number. The other thing that the NFL Network does great that I wanted to get your opinion on is these a football life documentaries. Have you gotten right. a chance to look at them, and and how do you think that they stand out? I mean, there's a lot of sports entities doing these documentaries now, obviously yeah. with Thirty for Thirty and some other places. But how do you think NFL stood out? Yeah, I'm trying to remember which one. I feel like it was Ray Lewis one. I yes. feel like I saw that. Yep. I yep. saw a little bit of the Tebow one. There was a football life Tim Tebow, I think, right? Yeah, that was the second one. There was one in the Browns. Second one. Jimmy, I know there's a Jimmy Johnson one either yeah, this, this week, week or last week. Yep. Um, I haven't Spielman. seen that. I, yeah, I mean, I think from the ones I've seen, I, I think they've been really good. Production quality is very high. I think NFL Films does it, if I'm they do. remembering yep. right. Um, so, yeah, I think, they, I mean, that's a, that's a good series for them. Um, well shot, well produced. Um, but that's the kind of stuff I think they have to do. Um, because you can't just do 24-7, basically, you know, studio shows, studio chatter. So you're going to have to get that kind of stuff. And that's differentiating um, programming because, you know, they have great access to NFL films that most of these other networks don't. Um, so the ones I've seen so far have been pretty good. But, you know, I just to be honest with you, like, there's so much content. Like, i got to pick my spot, like, right. what I'm going to watch. And to watch every NFL film is a football life you know, they put me in an institution, and I just wouldn't have enough time in the day to basically watch all this stuff. Um, but from the from what I've seen, I, I, you know, again, I think it's been a pretty good product. What did you think? I'd of- rather watch the sportscasters on TV, personally. I'd like to see you guys get like a little Dan Patrick deal. Well, maybe we see Simulcast. we can actually watch you, not just hear you guys. Yeah, we're moving into that. We're getting close. Uh, yeah, nice. What did you think of Chris Berman's attempt to be political on Monday? Uh. You sound like one of the ESPN part PR directors I have to fight with every day. Um, <laughs> I, I well, you saw what I wrote beforehand, so I certainly didn't Monday morning did. quarterback this. I was well ahead of of uh, Chris Berman's uh, uh, interviews. I, I thought it's exactly what I expected. It produced nothing. It produced no interesting comments from either of the uh, candidates, and maybe the space nobody can produce it, but. I, I, as I wrote, I don't understand why ESPN in that platform cannot provide us somebody with more journalistic credentials, more journalistic instincts than Chris Berman. Now, maybe you would end up getting the same um, comments from Obama and Romney, but maybe not. And I'd much rather roll the dice with a Bob Lee or a Jeremy Schaap or someone like that who has the instincts maybe to follow up if one of the candidates says something. Um, and it, to me, and again, I could say this because I'm an outsider. I, I don't have to, you know, I don't work for Chris, or Chris doesn't work for me, and I don't have to get into the politics of it. But the whole idea that just because this is taking place during halftime of Monday Night Football, that you have to have your halftime guy do it, is absurd. It, it's absurd on its face. As a network, they have they have an easy ability to change up. I mean, you're not, you know, Chris Bur- it's, not, it's not written in Chris Berman's contract that he must interview every presidential candidate. Um, but I always think that ESPN and other networks have a tendency to cater to their stars, cater to the faces of their network, and I don't think it always provides viewers with um, the best option. And once again, not surprisingly, what happened during Chris Berman's segments? Chris Berman trended on Twitter. I'm sure you guys saw it. 95% negative comments, 5% positive comments. But yet ESPN... You know, we'll claim that it's just a bunch of critics who are yelling and picking on Chris Berman because it's easy. My contention is it's not. It's not critics picking on Chris Berman. It's viewers out there who are smart and get it and know that, hey, we deserve somebody better for this other than Chris Berman in the same way we deserve somebody like Trey Wingo instead of Chris Berman on the NFL draft. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to turn this into an ESPN bashing, but I thought someone had a brilliant tweet during the game the other night, and they said, if I was Drew Brees, I, I wish I could give credit, but this is really funny. They said, if I was Drew Brees, I would get a restraining order out on John Gruden. And it's funny. It yeah. is funny. And, and, you know, John Gruden has, I think, improved. Uh, I agree with that, definitely. Uh, but he still just gushes too much. It, it's almost to me like he doesn't want to say something too negative about a player in case he's ever in the position in a year or two where he's going to be coaching that player. That that's just I think, the feeling I, I get. think that's yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I don't know if that is 
Gruden, if that is in Gruden's back of his mind, or it's more of, you know, I've talked to Gruden about this and more of the idea that, you know, I remember John Gruden said something to me to the effect of, and it was honest, whether I sort of agree with the philosophy or not, it's something different, but he said, I know how tough it is to make a first down in this league. So that's why I sort of, that that's how I approach my commentary and criticism. And so what that says to me and I actually like Rudin. Uh, I like him. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's honest. As an analyst, I think he's good. I don't think he's great. I don't think he's ever going to be great for this particular reason. And it, it speaks to what you guys are saying in that I don't think he's fully separated himself from the league, from the league structure. His brother is still coaching in the league, and I think you do see the difference between a guy like Chris Collinsworth and a guy like John Gruden. Chris Collinsworth doesn't have that over gushing. He doesn't have that pause button. He sort of says what he sees says what he believes and if it ends up like you know if if it if it if it ends up causing him friction between a coach or a player he deals with it because that's sometimes what the job sort of deals with um you know with Gruden I always feel I'm like you guys I just or I just always feel that it's he's always sort of holding back just a little bit in case he has to deal with that player or that coaching staff down the road yeah uh it was really interesting we we kind of talked about this after the last season and I asked you which of the pregame shows you kind of liked the best, and it was the fantasy football show on ESPN. Right. Uh, and I thought that was a really cool observation, just that you were yeah, I'm a fa- I am fantastic and cool. I've been telling you guys this for two years now. <laughs> uh, is that this year, is that still the best pregame show, or is there something else that's caught your eye this year? I haven't seen as much, to be honest with you, I haven't seen as much fantasy football now this year as I have last year. I haven't really seen as many pregame shows this year as I have last year. Um, I, I will say this. It seems to me the Fox show and CBS are just getting worse or just getting, like, predictable. You guys style. probably watch yeah. it closer than I do. But, you know, from the pick segments to everything else, it just feels kind of just the same thing, the same over-the-top laughter at nonsense jokes that aren't funny. Um, so that... Yeah, those two shows, I'm not saying they're bad, but they're just not that interesting. Uh, fantasy football now, from when I've seen it, has still been fine. Again, like I said, I haven't seen it a lot. Um, Countdown's okay. Countdown may be actually be better at this point than Fox and CBS, although I don't think Countdown is the greatest show of all time. One thing I need to really watch more of is I need to watch more of the NFL Network. That yeah. the, the first on the field show, I'd like to see more of. I have seen When I've seen that, it hasn't been bad. And the, the, you know, the, the more traditional show that runs... Uh, you know, from ten to one, I should uh, I should check that out. What I find myself really enjoying, and this is not a new observation, is I, I just really love watching uh, NFL uh, Red Zone. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, Scott Hans. I mean, the, 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 just those guys do a fabulous job. I mean, it, it is unbelievable how good they are and um, um, how on point they are. How difficult a job that is. Um, so right now, it's, to me, like I think in terms of the most enjoyable broadcast. I probably would still give you Collins and Madden, uh, Collins and Madden, Collins and Michaels on NBC, and then I think I'd go NFL Red Zone after that because I just I find those guys like unbelievably good at what they do. Yeah, and it's incredible that they do it in two different settings in the sense that they have the Directv version and then they have the everybody else version. And right. no, no matter who you talk to, they love the version that they watch. So, yeah, I don't I don't have Directv, so I haven't seen that, but I've heard Andrew the exact Siciliano, same thing that you yeah, guys he does saying a great that it's, job. it's fantastic. Yeah, it is fantastic. All right, we're gonna have to finish up here with Richard Deitch. Um, you know, Lee Jenkins would get thirty minutes. <laughs> well, we give you thirty minutes too, but you're no, the one I know, I know. Go. I told you I have a lot. I have so much to do today. It's incredible that I'm giving the sportscasters uh, valuable my valuable time. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm such a powerful person in the industry, yet I still come on to the show. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I hope you don't take that seriously. By the yeah. way, let me ask you guys this. Yeah. You yeah. Are, I know you are tele- You enjoy television. You watch television. You're smart enough to watch things beyond sports. Did you watch the election coverage yesterday? Yes, I watched uh, a lot of Brian Williams. Right. Um, Who went off on Donald Trump, I thought. He, Very interesting. He did. That was, that was good. Uh, yeah. Really some nice lines. Did you, watch the, did you watch what happened late at night because it was very fascinating television with Fox and Karl Rove? I did. I switched to that because of the buzz on Twitter. So right. Twitter, Twitter got me I. over there. Yeah. I tried to, I tried to stay away for most of the night uh, from Fox and from MSNBC and try to focus on CNN for cable. And Brian Williams just happens to be my choice of the three networks. So I was going right. there. And then, yeah, the Rove stuff just started blowing up on Twitter. And it was like the train wreck you had, you had, you had to see last night. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was really fascinating TV, and I think that's probably you know what the fact is. You're right. MSNBC and uh, and Fox are absolutely um, zealots in point of view television. I mean, they make no bones about sort of how they approach stuff. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's getting harder and harder to find somebody who tries to go down the middle. I think I even find CNN sometimes. Um, you know, tilts a little bit left. Yep. Uh, you know, I actually think CBS, for the most part, does a pretty good job of being down the middle. I, I like you. If I had to pick one anchor, I like Brian Williams a lot. I like Chuck Todd too on that network. Some of the other people on NBC um, and c- can be get a little bit annoying. I but, Chuck um, Todd did but it's interesting because it, you know you really you want to try to find somebody on election night who's sort of like uh, who doesn't sort of you know who really delivers journalistically sound stuff. It's getting tougher and tougher. I agree. All right, thank you, Richard. Is that it? That's my out. That that wasn't even a dramatic. Not no more. You don't, I don't want, get a dramatic, you don't want a dramatic like, intro. Or but you want a dramatic get a, outro. Our thanks to the great Lee Jenkins, <laughs> whose story this week in Sports Illustrated was fantastic. I mean, I I, I no longer get the out. I guess well, you got to check out one of uh, the most recent pieces that Richard has written for the no, website. I'm not looking. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even, I don't even need the, you to hype me. I just feel oh. like, I don't know. I feel like that just was a quick, like, to the end. Like, I I, I just feel like whether it would be a Price, a Wertheim, a Lee Jenkins. Well, I want to ask you a question a off the record. I feel like they would have gotten a little more of a personalized out. I want to ask you a question off the record, so I'm trying to get you out on the record so that I have You mean off? You mean not for, ta- not for yes, taping? Yes, yes. You can't, but you, you listen, I, I, first of all, you should be leaving all this for people to listen, but you can't am, yes. do that. You can't do that. Tell the listener that you're going to ask me a question off the record. <laughs> it's not fair to the listener to then think, oh, why wouldn't you put that on the record? It, so why don't you ask me the question, and I will tell you if I'll answer it on the record. Well, I'm having, I'm having trouble with an ESPN PR staffer, and I was going to ask for your advice on how to handle it. Oh, I'll certainly answer this one on the record. <laughs> All right, fine. Don't whatever. mention this, don't mention the PR staffer's name. I won't. But ask me what the issue is, and yeah, well, I'm happy to talk about it on here. Okay, last year on this show in November, we had Mike Tirico on, and right. I good set, get. Yeah, and I set up the interview through this ESPN staffer. Okay. The, the interview went fantastic. We did about. Right. We were scheduled to do 20 minutes. He or 15 minutes. He did 25. We talked for 10 minutes after, um, and he gave me some pointers, and he's was very adamant that he'd be more than willing to do it again next season. And, um, we fought, you know, he said, you can reach me on Twitter or, or, you know, go through bill or, uh, the staffer. And, um, I've been trying since September to set up this interview and every single email back is another excuse. And I know for a fact that the staffer at ESPN hasn't even asked Tariko if he'll do it. He's just protecting him from it for some reason, but I don't want to be disrespectful and go to Tariko even though I know I could and set it up. Well, I think, listen, that's an excellent question. This stuff happens, and this stuff really happens a lot of times to organizations that don't have, like, let's say, the kind of um, uh, status or clout like a Sports Illustrated. It's very hard to bully a Sports Illustrated. It's easy to bully. I don't even know if bully is the right word, but it's easy to sort of, you know, sort of – it's easy to blow you off, for lack of a better word. So here's what my advice would be. All right. I think you try one more time with the PR staffer at ESPN. You mentioned that you've been really polite and professional for you know a couple months now. You mentioned that the interview with Tariqa went really well. And you mentioned at the email to say, um, you know, and that's what you do. If you get blown off again, you absolutely then go to Tariqa. You, at that point, have done your due diligence with the PR staff and the hierarchy to get said talent. But if you have... You know, and this is what happens with radio stations. If you have a relationship with a person, um, those radio stations don't go through ESPN PR every time. If they, if radio station X has a relationship with ESPN talent Y, and they have the email and they have the phone, they'll call those guys straight away. So I think at this point, um, you know, you to me, you email or call those guys one more time, and then after that, go contact Tariko on your own, and then let Tariko make the decision. Um, as to whether he's going to do the show. Tariko's a smart guy. He's going to go back and tell PR that. But then if nothing else, you get your you get to the decision, you get to the guest directly and then the guest can tell you yes or no whether he or she wants to be on. But I feel like you guys at this point, you've totally done the professional and collegial thing. You've tried to go through ESPN PR and if you're getting blown off, you have every right to go try to get that guest on your own. That said, you know, sometimes there is fallout, and maybe that PR guy won't help you in the future. Right. 
Um, but I think at this not point... he's helped us much anyway, so... Well, here's the thing, right. The point is he's not helping you right now, right. in your opinion. So at this point, especially if you had a good interview, and especially if you feel like Tariko was like, hey, I'd love to come back on again, I think you have done your absolute due diligence. And I think at this point, one more email to Bristol uh, Command Center. If they don't get back to you or they blow you off, I think you go after Tariko. Um, and, you know, you should not feel bad at all. I mean, I feel like you've totally done... Uh, you've totally done the right thing. Um, and it's very foolish on ESPN PR's point. I understand PR people want to protect um, uh, their talent, but you guys have had so many reputable um, people in the media on at this point that, to me, it's kind of silly on their end. I mean, you're not, you know, you have a track record of whatever it is, 70 shows yep. with 70 well-known people. I mean, you know, you guys aren't sort of just starting yesterday. So, in that sense, if I was a PR person, I'd be like, oh, I mean, these guys have had everybody from Sports Illustrated to ESPN to Fox. I mean, you guys have had major names on. So to me, it would be a no-brainer. So I respect the fact that you're trying to do the right thing. I would try to do the right thing one more time, and then after that, I'd go after Mike Tariq on your own. Well, how about that for some impromptu podcasting? We're going to run it all. Beautiful. Thank you, Mr. Deitch. We will talk to you soon. You got it, sportscasters. See you. All right, we are back. I want to thank Richard Deitch for uh, dragging our dirty laundry out of us and helping us <laughs> to air it in front of the nation. I want to mention something else. At the beginning of the Richard Deitch interview, you may have noticed that there was no fight song and there was no introduction to speak of, which if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you're were maybe curious as to why that happened. And the reason is because Richard Deitch, as you, might, you, you know by now, likes to bust our balls and always picked on us for having a beautiful introduction Length, for yeah, him. Yeah, a little bit lengthy yeah. intro. So we uh, shortened it for him. <laughs> so I gets. thought I'd mention that. Uh, but thank you to Richard for being on the show, and uh, thank you for helping us potentially burn every bridge at ESPN that we may have <laughs> ever built. Uh, two last things to do here before we end the show. Well, actually three. I want to remind you, you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can also follow Football Nation on Twitter at FBallNation. Uh, please check out Season 3, Episode 2 of the Sportscasters proper. Features an NBA basketball preview with Lee Jenkins, a college basketball preview with Luke Wynn, and an interview with one of our favorites, John Wertheim, in a really SI-heavy week here yeah. at the Sportscasters. Um also, want to mention you can find this podcast on iTunes and on Podomatic, uh, and you can find our past episodes by clicking on the podcast link at the top of the homepage, www.footballnation.com. All right, an email addressed to both of us this week. Steve and Don, I was thinking about relevancy and how the Bills don't have any. Ugh. Are they the least relevant team in the league? Who do you guys think is the least relevant team in sports? From Buffalo, just like you, Dwayne. In sports? He's kind of asking, are the Bills the least relevant team in the league? He didn't say if not who, but he also asked who is the most rel least relevant team in sports. As a Bills fan, it's easy to say yes. So I'm going to say yes. <laughs> the problem with Buffalo is they haven't been historically bad and they've been far from historically good. It's oh for 12 years now, I think, for playoffs or 13 years. I would still argue the least relevant team in the league is the Jaguars. Yes, because they don't, they don't even sell. So the, that might be true. The problem with the Jaguars is suddenly they have this owner that's kind of interesting. And, and they have a real good look at the number one overall pick. So they're going to be interesting next draft. The Bills are probably going to end up with the... The Bills just middle it too much. Tenth pick right. this year. Again, and hopefully they go for a quarterback. Everyone in the world knows they need a quarterback, and there's going to be three or four guys coming out of the draft that would probably be worth that 10th pick if he's still around. Other problem is that there's a lot of teams all of a sudden it look like they need quarterbacks. So who knows what's going to happen there. But, yeah, if it's not Buffalo, if it's not Jacksonville, it's probably Buffalo. So, so and then in that case, who would be the least relevant team in the NFC? Is it St. Louis? 
They got a they got a young quarterback though. They're Sam heading Bradford, in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, ja- Fisher's there. He's kind of an interesting coach. Boy, it's hard because there's a lot of money in the NFC as far as like. It's hard. Is it Washington? No, I mean Daniel Snyder throws money at everything, and they've got a, a exciting quarterback. Well, one thing I was going to say about the second part of Dwayne's question is that whoever the least relevant team in sports is, it's not an NFL team. No. All of the NFL teams in some way have a bit of relevancy. Right. The National Football League is too big and too popular to have a team ranked dead last in relevancy. The chances are the least relevant team in all of sports is an NHL or an NBA team. And... Someone like Phoenix, maybe. I mean, they it's, had a nice playoff run this year, but they don't have an owner, and they can't find an owner, and they keep trying to work that situation out. And- it's funny. I just clicked on the NHL standings, and it said, I'm sorry, there are no standings. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's t- in terms of the Islanders would definitely have to be considered. But now they're moving to Brooklyn. But now they're moving to Brooklyn. That might take them out of the discussion. I'd um, like to say Carolina as a Sabres they're fan. They're a Stanley Cup winner. They won a cup. They made Florida a Panthers moves. are a definite oh, yeah. potential nominee for this. Sure. Um, and the Columbus Blue Jackets oh, yeah. are a definite potential nominee for this. And then in the NBA, the Sacramento Kings strike strike me as kind of irrelevant. I don't, I couldn't probably couldn't name a player on the Sacramento Kings. They have owners that are somewhat relevant on the social scene in the Maloof brothers. Oh right, but I don't, I don't know. The Toronto Raptors feel pretty irrelevant to me. I know we're throwing out a lot. Can we narrow it down to one to answer his question? For NBA or in general? I guess his last... Well, his first question, are the Bills the most relevant team in the NFL? We'll answer that by saying they are, but if they're not, it's the Jaguars. So we've narrowed it down to two there. His second part is, who do you think is the least relevant team in sports? And I guess I'm going to say it's Columbus Blue Jackets. That's my answer. That sounds about right. I mean, unless there's some... They've played in the playoffs one time. They got swept. We could probably think of a baseball team for this too, but off the top of my head, yeah, I, I'm, hockey's like my second sport, so I would say Columbus. Yeah, I, I think Columbus is, is the answer there to Part B. Okay, this is the part we uh, do one last thing. So one last thing for me, Jay Cutler or Lovey Smith. Uh, we talked about football karma and the football gods and – they might not like you running up the score against the lowly Tennessee Titans. With about 10 minutes to go in last week's game, fourth quarter, 44-12 to 12 game, mind you. Actually, let's go back a step. At 37-12, to 12, with 11 minutes and 21 seconds left, Brandon Marshall catches a touchdown pass from Jay Cutler. Then they turned it, it over. 44-12. Yep. Less than, less than two minutes later, actually yeah, 61 seconds the later. The Titans turned it over. The Titans turn it over. Brandon Marshall, five-yard pass from Jay Cutler, 51-12. to 12. Throwing it into the end zone, up over 30. The – who was it at the time? The Ravens? Was that when uh, Bolden had his face smashed in? Yes. Against the Or no, Eagles. that was Arizona. He was with Arizona. He was with time. Arizona at the time? It was with the, against uh, against the Jets. The Jets. Yep. Yeah, because I think Kurt Warner was throwing the ball. Yep, you're right there. Uh, that case, they were down, but again – a comeback wasn't in the works there, and it destroyed Bolden's face. I mean, it was a dirty hit, but nothing good can come from this. Uh, you're a 7-1 team. You've played one other game against a really quality opponent this year, and you got embarrassed in Green Bay. So here's your chance now to prove that you're a team because you're not going to be running up the score against Houston. You're not going to be running up the score the following week against San Francisco. I picked the Bears to win this week. I don't, I don't know why the home field advantage, I guess. They're so similar to Houston. But that said, this offense hasn't always been this good. And for them to be run up the score, it, it's just unnecessary. It's not the BCS. Uh, hopefully, Karma will be on their side and not hate on them for the end of that game. All right, one last thing for me. After the Saints and Broncos game, I, I thought for sure the Saints were the biggest disaster in the National Football League. But... After watching Monday Night Football this week, I want to change my answer to the Eagles. You know, every year it seems like Andy Reid emerges from his bye week with a better team. This year, Andy Reid has emerged from his bye week without a team. I don't know what has happened to the Philadelphia Eagles, but they're a disaster at 
every single turn. Their play calling is bad. Their pass protection is bad. Their quarterback play is bad. Their defense is bad. They spent big money on guys like Dominique Rogers, Cromarty, and Namdi Asamoa, and these two guys couldn't cover a peanut butter and jelly sandwich if they were bread. The Eagles are in disarray, and I don't think Andy Reid can survive it. Spend my days with a woman unkind. 